Growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. Salvation is built on a foundation of faith, not on a foundation of flesh. There's an old saying that refers to a person that works hard and becomes successful. The old saying is, he's a self-made man. We admire a man or woman who works hard and becomes successful, but when it comes to our spiritual lives, there's no such thing as a self-made man. Because no matter how good you are or ever will be, you'll never be good enough. Because it's never been about being good enough. Hello, I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to this week's Crosswalk. As we move into the second half of our study of the book of Philippians in our series entitled Heartbeat, the Apostle Paul has a warning for us concerning the false doctrine of works salvation. As you'll hear Pastor Clay say in today's message, a group of people known as Judaizers were going around teaching people that believing in Jesus was good. It just wasn't good enough. There was something more that had to be done if you wanted to be saved. It's always been God's intent to aim at our heart. You understand? It's always been about the heart. It's never been about do this, do that, whatever. As you'll hear in today's message, Paul's response was swift and sure, and he leaves no doubt that salvation has nothing to do with what we do for God and everything with what God did for us. are talking about a heartbeat and what is or should be our heartbeat. There's lots of things that uh, vie for attention, lots of things that would uh, perhaps uh, become the, the driving passion or force or heartbeat of our lives. Let me tell you about something uh, kind of cool that happened to me uh, this week. Not the passing out thing, I already told you all about that. By the way, I got plenty of water. Uh, Fred Bays sent me some Fred water, so... Uh, I don't know where. I told Teresa it was Fredalicious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anyway, uh, um, we just we just moved into a new house uh, last Wednesday. Everything's in the garage, and we're, and it's a it's a house that needs renovating and all that kind of stuff. But we got it at a good price, and yada yada yada. And uh, but we're having to do some things before we can actually move in. Um, and, and it's kind of overgrown, it had been empty for a while, and some trees need trimming, and some trees need taken down, and that kind of stuff, and uh, so I've got to apply to the HOA and make sure, you know, I'm not uh, doing something I shouldn't do, and, uh, and so one of the things it said was that if any of the trees that you want to trim up or take down are near the property lines, you need to talk to your neighbors and make sure that they're aware of that and that they're okay with any trees that you want to uh, drop down. So uh, directly to the left of our house is a gentleman lives there that doesn't live there. He actually lives in Wilmington, uh, but he has this house when he comes up to visit his mom in Raleigh and his sister lives in that neighborhood, but I, don't, I guess he didn't want to stay with her, so he, so he bought his own house, and it just sits empty most of the time. He stays there uh, just periodically throughout the, the year. And so I thought, okay, well, how am I going to get him because he's never there because everybody, neighbors already told me you won't hardly ever see him. Well, uh, I think it was Thursday evening, yeah. I was uh, up in my, uh, the new room, uh, bedroom that's going to be my office, and I was doing some work, and I looked out the window, and there was a, a vehicle out in his driveway, and the door was open, and I, and I saw him coming out. I thought, fantastic. And so I go out there and uh, meet him. His name is John. Uh, couldn't have been a nicer guy. 
and uh, he was happy for me because a lot of the limbs are hanging down on his driveway and hanging over his very nice boat and all this kind of stuff. So he was more than happy to sign a document or anything that I wanted to take down. He said it was just fine with him. So he invites me into the house. We're going to the house. And we're just talking and, and uh, you know, that sort of thing. And, uh, and he writes out the, the letter and he finishes up and he, and he, he says, come on out this way. He comes through the garage and uh, out in the garage, y'all ready for this? Out in the garage, he's got a Rolls Royce. A Rolls Royce. I don't know what, what, how you say it, whatever the brand, whatever. But it's pretty. <laughs> and it's big. And it's convertible. And the top is down. And John says, come on, let's take it for a drive. You drive. I said, John, no, no I, I don't, I don't want to drive your Rolls Royce. I don't, I don't, I don't want to drive your Rolls Royce. No, no, yeah, it, it needs to, it never gets driven, it never gets started. He said, I put 5,000 miles on it in 11 years. He said, it needs to be driven. Come on, let's drive it around the neighborhood. What am I going to do? <laughs> drive it. So here we go. I, I get in, I'm telling you, it's like, I feel like driving Miss Daisy. Going to this big old steering wheel, the top is down, here's John on the other side, and we just drive, he's cruising, he's showing me, here's where his sister lives, and here's this house and this house, and I'm like, do 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 driving this big old thing, he's telling me, you know, 500 horsepower engine, and he said, it'll bury that speedometer. I'm sure it will, John. We're not going to do it in this neighborhood. And he's telling me that's why he says all this stuff, and you know, and he's just just nice, nice guy. We get back, and he says, "Listen, here's my boat. I never take this boat out." He said, "I always have a little contention, but I just I live down in Wilmington. I'm on my boat all the time. Take the boat out." He said, "Let me get it serviced for you first. <laughs> and then, and this is a nice boat. I mean, he's like, take. He said, "Please take it out." Oh, I got to tell you, the Rolls Royce. He says, he says, drive it, drive it anytime you want. He said, I, he said, I'll, I'll give you the keys. I'll tell you where the keys are. He said, he said, take your wife out, take her out on a date. And then he says, drive it down to the church. I said, John, if I drive a Rolls Royce down to the church, they're going to want to cut my pay. <laughs> and John says, you know, you might be right about that. <laughs> and let's had a great time with John. I got, to share, I got to share my testimony with John, how Christ has changed my life. I got to share the gospel with him. John's not a believer. And John says, he says, you know, I look forward to having a conversation with you. He said, I, I'm okay. He said, oh, God, thanks. I'm okay with that. He said, but I'm just not sure about, you know, what the difference is between Jesus and, and, and um, Muhammad and Buddha. I just don't know if there's any difference between him and all the rest of those. And, I, and, and so I just, I'm so excited about that because John says, I, I look forward to sitting down and, and talking with you. So yeah, that was just kind of fun. It's exciting. You know, it's, it's, I don't know that I'll ever have a chance to, well, I probably will have a chance to drive a Rolls Royce again because John's going to give me the keys. You know, driving a Rolls Royce, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's, it's fun. It, it, we had a good time. But I want to talk to you this morning about something that's uh, far better than driving a Rolls Royce or a fancy boat or anything else. I want to talk to you about the grace of God this morning. Just talk to you about the grace of God. Uh, open your Bibles if you brought a copy of God's Word today, whether it's, uh, you know, old school book, whether it's digital, whatever it is. Uh, Philippians chapter 3. We're working our way through the book of Philippians in this series entitled Heartbeat. And today we finally come to chapter 3. Bet y'all thought we'd never get here. Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. The text will be up on the screen as well. Um, but uh, it's an important part in, in, uh, in this study. And I'm just having a good time. I hope that you're enjoying it as well. Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1 this morning. Finally, my brethren... Rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision, who worship in the Spirit of God 
and glory in Christ Jesus, watch this, and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. I I keep that law. That's what Paul said. I kept that law, man. Verse 7. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ, and may be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Father, today, as we continue this study in Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, I thank you that it's Paul's letter to the church at Cross Culture here in Raleigh and to every other church that would take your word and apply it to our lives today. Every person in this room, every person who will listen to the podcast needs to apply the truth of your word. And particularly as we, we look at this, this contrast between what we can do in our flesh and what you have called us to be in faith. Father, may you open our hearts and minds. From week to week, I have no idea where each person is spiritually in their walk with you, but I know whether they are a believer or still searching, that we all have struggles, we all have difficulties, we all have times that, um, that we're not really living out all that we should. My prayer is that your word, which is quick and alive and sharper than any two-edged sword, would do surgery on our hearts and lives today. And that you would, through your word, cut out of our lives the things that should not be there and that you would surgically sow into our lives the truth that we could apply, that we would be fully devoted followers of Jesus. In his name, amen. Uh, we have a, each, most weeks we have something here that we call a BP squared, a big picture biblical principle, the overarching big picture biblical principle of the text that we're dealing with uh, that week. In this case, for Philippians chapter 3, uh, 1 through 9, it looks like this is for me. Salvation is built on a foundation of faith, not a foundation of flesh. Now, if you guys are regular tenders to cross-culture, you may notice that the outline is rather brief this week. Uh, that's pretty much all you've got to write in. You can feel free to write anything else that you want, but that's really what we're getting to. Salvation is built on a foundation of faith, not on a foundation of flesh. Paul starts out in Philippians chapter 3 with finally, or more literally, uh, as to the rest. He's not really closing the letter yet because he's still got quite a bit to say. But he is beginning to draw towards the end. Uh, Chapter-wise, you're moving into the second chapter, or the second half of the book of Philippians. And he is beginning to draw near to the end of this thing. And it's clear from what he says here that there's a transition going on. 
He's, he's shifting his, his thought process. If you've been with us, you may remember that earlier in chapter 2, and we spent a good bit of time there, Paul got into this idea of, of working out our salvation. Some of y'all remember that? Say yes. Okay. Um, work out your salvation. And we, like I said, we spent a good bit of time in there and what that means and what that doesn't mean. And uh, that this idea that when, a, when salvation is genuine, when it's authentic, when Christ comes into our life, a change takes place. We're simply not the same anymore. And, and some things begin to change about our attitudes. Y'all remember talking about that? Some things begin to change about our actions. Y'all remember talking about that? Thank you. <laughs> Come on, y'all. I'm trying to get y'all going. Y'all seem a little, I don't know what it is today. Um, but those things begin to change. That's, that's the extent of this. We're, we're taking advantage of this salvation. We're working out the completeness of this salvation. Not that we're earning this salvation. That's why Paul, I think, goes to where he goes in chapter 3. But that we're seeing the full extent and potential of our salvation, what it means not only for eternity, but in our lives right now, how it begins to affect our lives. Now, interestingly enough, he kind of, in my opinion, he kind of backs up as he moves into chapter 3 and he begins to talk about the foundation of our salvation. The foundation of our salvation is this idea of faith. And so Paul begins in verse 2, he says, Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. Well, why don't you tell us how you really feel, Paul? Why don't you really, yeah. No, the people that Paul is referring to were known as Judaizers. Now, the Judaizers were, uh, were, were people that went around to the churches in that day that professed a faith in Jesus. They said that they were part of the church. They said that they believed in Jesus, but that they were essentially teaching the people that Jesus' death on the cross really wasn't enough, that that in order to really be in right standing with God, there was, there was yes, Jesus, that's good, and all that died, and all died on the cross, that's good stuff. But if you want to be in right standing, good standing with God, there's really some more things that you need to do. And those things that they're referring to were really the idea of keeping the Jewish laws, what were known as Levitical laws, the Jewish laws that, that God had given to the people and that sort of thing, that you needed to keep those as well if you were really going to be in good standing with God. So... If you were a non-Jew, that meant that you needed to be, say it with me, circumcised. Now, any boys and girls in here, you know what circumcision is? You can ask your mom and dad when you leave here today. I'm sure they'll be happy to explain that to you. But you needed to be circumcised uh, in order to be in, in good standing with God. Besides uh, all of that, you needed to keep the, the, the festivals and the feasts and the dietary laws and, and, and whatever else they, they might come up with. And, hey, hey, by the way. It's not that those things in themselves are bad. There are many people still today uh, in, in different parts of the world, certainly here in America, uh, still practice uh, circumcision on uh, male babies. Uh, the dietary laws or the festivals or honoring God, it's not that those things in themselves necessarily was bad. What was bad was that when those things become the means through which I gain God's approval, when those things become the things through which I, I, I think that I am saved, that's when, Houston, we have a problem. Because what the Judaizers were promoting was a works-based salvation. This idea that if I can be good enough, if I can just, if I can just be religious enough, or if I can just keep enough rituals, or if I can just do enough good deeds, then I'm going to be okay with God. And Paul didn't like that. He didn't like that at all. 
Because Paul had been delivered from that very trap. Paul had, been, had, had come out of that, that very idea. And so he gets into it here where he'd been saying, listen, listen, if you want, you talk about being good, you talk about being religious, you talk about doing all the, you know, all the right stuff. I'm there, man. That was me, he says. If that were the means of obtaining salvation and right relationship with God, just count me in because I'm already there, man. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm in the tribe of Benjamin. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I had zeal. I persecuted the church. I did all these things. That's works. And Paul had been delivered from that very trap. Paul had discovered, listen, have you discovered, ladies and gentlemen, have you discovered the magnificent truth that your good works have nothing to do with your salvation because, you're, because no matter how good you are or ever will be, you'll never be good enough. Because it's never been about being good enough. That's not what it's about. And so Paul lays in to the Judaizers and, and, and he, he doesn't pull any punches. First he says he calls them dogs. Which, by the way, is just about as insulting as you can be to a Jew because that was what Jews called non-Jews, Gentiles. They would call us the dogs. No, and by the way, when Paul calls them dogs, he's not talking about like Benji, the family pet, okay? Dogs in those days were predominantly scavengers, wild animals. They were not nice. They were, in fact, dangerous. And by the way, that's why Paul says, he says, listen, there's no trouble for me to say this stuff to you again. It's, it's no problem for me uh, to repeat this to you again because there's danger out there. If you've been coming to Cross Culture for a while, some of you may have noticed that from time to time, I don't do it every week, but, but uh, a good bit of the time, I sometimes will begin a message with a brief review of the week before, with a brief review of maybe where we've been in the series. Now, I do that for a couple of reasons. One, we usually have guests from week to week, and I like for them to be, come up to speed on, on where we are. But secondly, because you and I need to hear this stuff over and over and over again. You, guys, you and I need to read these truths over and over and over again. Partly because we are hard-headed. And partly because, as Paul says, there is danger out there. Look out for the dogs. But he doesn't stop there. He says they're dogs. They are evil workers, he says. Which... which essentially means that they are literally working against the kingdom of God. They're working against the work of God. They're working against the opportunity that, that God has put out there for people coming to a relationship with him. They are doing everything they can to work against that thing. Now, somebody might be tempted to say, well, you know, okay, they're a little off, but it's not like that they're, it's not like they're, you know, teaching people to live all these, this ungodly life and to just go wild, this wild lifestyle and to ignore God. They're not teaching them. No, no. In my opinion, what they're doing is worse. It's worse because they're deceiving people into believing that somehow whatever the religion is, whatever label you want to put on it, whether it's, you know, Baptist or, or Methodist or uh, Islam or Hinduism or Buddha, whatever label you want to put on it, whatever it is, they're, they're deceiving people into thinking that, that if you do this and do that and do this and do that and, 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 you know, all this kind of stuff this many times a day or whatever all it is, that that is what's going to gain God's approval for you. They're deceiving millions of people and keeping them in darkness. And they're never discovering the truth that 
that they can actually have an intimate, personal, individual relationship with God that is based not on what we can do for God, but is instead based on what God has done for us. Would somebody say amen? I'm going to get Baptocostal in here in a minute. It's based on what God has done for us. And so they are evil workers, literally working against the opportunity that God has given for man to come into relationship with him. And in my opinion, what they're doing is even worse. Listen, I don't know about you, but I've had conversations with many a person who was living a, it's kind of an old term, but living a life of debauchery, living a life of of drunkenness and sexual promiscuity. I've had lots of conversations with people like that. And many of them oftentimes have said something to this effect. Oh, I, I, I know I'm not living right. I, I know that you know, I'm not. I know I'm going to hell. You ever had a conversation with somebody tell you that? I, I know that, uh, that that my life is not right. I know I need to straighten myself out. Well, however they might say it, I've had many conversations with somebody like that. But the person who's been deceived into believing that they are good enough, that they're being religious enough, or 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 they're they're you know whatever it is they're doing, that they are okay with God. That person, listen to me, ladies and gentlemen, that person is just as, just as lost as the town drunk, just as lost as the, as, as the prostitute, just as lost as the, as the most vile sinner, you know, that you could possibly think of. But again, in my opinion, they're even worse off because they don't know it. Because they've been deceived into thinking that somehow they're flesh, what they can do in their flesh, their works, are going to be enough to put them in right relationship with God. Paul says they are evil. And that may sound harsh to you. And that, uh, I mentioned to y'all about the, the lady sitting and I had a conversation with on the plane a couple of weeks ago. And, and she said, well, to be honest with you, I, I've just always, you know, tried to honor all religions. Paul doesn't seem to be worried about that here. Paul says they're evil because they promote They promote a belief, a doctrine that would send people straight to hell while trying to be a good person. And then he also refers to them as the false circumcision. The the Judaizers, as I mentioned a moment ago, were teaching that, well, you know, if you want to be in right standing, you got to be uh, circumcised. Now, I, I don't, you know. I'm just thinking, I don't know. I'm just thinking, it's one thing to be circumcised as a baby. It's one thing, it's another thing, I don't know. Got to be circumcised. And, and Paul says they're, they're, the, they're the false circumcision because they're teaching. For them, it was, it was about this, again, it was about just this act, this ritual, this, this thing I'm supposed to do. It's like your, your checkbox thing, you know. Pray, check. Read your Bible, check. Get circumcised, check. <laughs> it was just this, this thing to do. To, and, and ladies and listen, can I tell you this? All the way back in Genesis 17, when God instituted with Abraham this covenant relationship with the nation of Israel, and he gave them this physical, it was a physical sign, it was something that Abraham and his descendants were to do. They were to be circumcised. They needed a a visual reminder of the covenant relationship that they had with God, that Abraham had with God and his descendants and his seed that that would come after him. They needed this, this visual reminder. So there was a physical act to it. But listen to me, ladies and gentlemen, it's always been God's intent to aim at our heart. You understand? It's always been about the heart. It's never been about do this, do that, whatever. It's about the heart. The physical procedure 
of circumcision may have taken place a little south of there, but God has always been aiming for our heart, ladies and gentlemen. That's what this thing is about. And so Paul says they're of the false circumcision. It's interesting, by the way, Paul even changes in the original language that the New Testament was written in. Paul uses a, actually uses a different word for circumcision for them than he does for himself in verse 3 when he says we are of the true circumcision. He says they're of the false circumcision. Basically what Paul says is they're nothing but body mutilators. That's all they are. They're, because they're forcing people into do something that they think will earn God's approval when, when God never wanted any of that. and never had anything to do with God's approval. What God wanted was a broken and contrite heart, a person who would humbly come to him. It's never been about what we could do for God. It's always been about what God has done for us. Prophet Isaiah uh, in Isaiah chapter 64 writes this, For all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment, and all of us wither like a leaf, like the wind, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. It's not, it's, you think you're going to be good enough? You think you're going to earn it? You think you're going to impress God? No. Paul says, that, well, I won't do it. If anybody could do that, Paul says, I would have already done that. Because I'm telling you, that's what I was all about, Paul says. And so, after describing in verses 4 through 6 the futility of, of the flesh, the futility of trying to, to earn God's approval... Paul then takes verses 7 through 9 to show us the key for how we actually do gain access to God, to how we actually do have this right relationship, to how we actually are saved. He says this in verse 7 through 9. But whatever things were gained to me, would you read that last part with me? Those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that. I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him. Watch this. Not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Faith. The righteousness that comes from God, notice not from you, comes from God on the basis of faith. Faith becomes the instrument through which we, our lives intersect with the grace of God. And he redeems us, he, he buys us back because his sacrifice on the cross made that penalty paid for. And all our good works, all our good deeds, all our religiosity will never make any difference at all. But only Christ and what he's done for us. It's interesting when, when Paul says, uh, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish. The original word means refuse or garbage for rubbish, for, for, uh, rubbish there. Refuse or garbage. Now you, He's already, in verse 4 through 6, he's already described the kind of religious guy that he was. And I mean, there was nobody more religious than Paul. For him to say, as to the law... Perfect or complete? Or he said, man, I did it. I was keeping this thing. I was doing every bit of it. And it wasn't an act for Paul. He says, man, I was, I was so, I had such fervor about this. I was willing to persecute the church. This was the real deal for Paul. He says, but I count it all. It's all, and there it is, folks. There's the key. There's the key to right relationship with God. Letting all of it go. Walk away from all of it. All of my hopes of being good enough or thinking that I can work my way or letting all of that go and understanding that it's simply the grace of God that has saved me 
or that will save me if I'll give my life to Jesus Christ. All the rest of it is garbage. And any, any false teacher, any false religion, anything that teaches... And listen, can I just say, all right, and I don't, I don't, you guys know this, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but this is what separates true Christianity from every other religion in the world. Every other religion in the world at its core is a works-based salvation. And Paul says it's garbage. It's rubbish. It's only Christ and knowing Him. You've probably read this before in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through, say it again, faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Can't earn a gift, ladies and gentlemen, as far as I know. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship. This is a work God has done. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared forehand that we should walk in them. Yes, having come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, as Paul talked about earlier in chapter 2, my life is changed and I am working out my salvation and, and, and I am different as a result of coming into a relationship with Christ. But I come into that relationship purely, solely, completely, only on the basis of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. By faith, I accept that fact. And that's it. Nothing else. It's an old saying. Uh, it went something like this. Nothing in my hands I bring, but simply to the cross I cling. That is salvation. Can I just say this as a, as a reminder to you? Pushing that extreme too far leads to what I sometimes refer to as an easy believism. Oh, I just, I just pray that prayer and I'm in. You know, I, I, I believe in Jesus. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to that said, I believe in Jesus. Well, that's good. The devil believes in Jesus. So, no, it is a faith, as it said there in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, it is a faith that produces works that God has created for us that we should, that we should walk in them. It is a changed life. It is an opportunity to, to, to join him in the building of his kingdom and be used by him to see others come into relationship with Jesus Christ. So it's not a life, it's not a faith void of works, but it comes on the other end, ladies and gentlemen. It's not the works that bring me to salvation. It's faith. And so, maybe you've read this before. Some of the most famous words, I guess, in all of the Bible. It's a New Living Translation. Would you say this out loud with me this morning? For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. Listen, I, I don't know where every person here is in their relationship with God this morning. I don't know if most of your life, if you look at it, and again, I'm telling you, you could be Baptist, you could be Pentecostal, you could be Muslim, you could be Hindu, you could be whatever. But if you look at your life and you say, you know, this has really been about me trying to earn God's favor. Paul says it's garbage. You've got to lay it all down, leave it all behind, count it all as loss, and receive salvation as the free gift that God intends for it to be by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's the foundation, ladies and gentlemen, of our salvation. Paul's had some to say about it before. He's going to get into much more in chapter 4 about contentment and some more about joy, that sort of thing. But right, he stops right here in chapter 3 and he says, listen, you better make sure you understand this is not about you. This is about God and what he has done. Would you receive God's gift? 
Thanks, Pastor. We hope today's message has been a reminder to all of us of just how good the grace of God is. All over the world, people are caught up in works-based religions that demand a level of performance but can never really take a person's sin away. Only the righteous blood of Christ can cleanse us from our unrighteousness. The Apostle Paul had explained earlier in the book of Philippians that works are a natural byproduct of a life in Christ, but that all the good works in the world will never take one sin away. Maybe you've been depending on your good works to make you okay with God. If so, we'd like to invite you to let go of your good works and embrace the cross of Christ. We're glad you joined us for this week's Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our everyday lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh. But instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sunday mornings at 1030 at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540 Exit 7. And we welcome anyone and everyone who is looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross Culture Church. Taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.